0: wherever you get your podcasts. On the night of November 13, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. burst through the front door of Henry's Bar in Amityville, New York, screaming hysterically for help, because his entire family had been murdered. His friends from the bar followed him back to his house at 112 Ocean Avenue, where they came across the bloody aftermath. Five members of the DeFeo household lay dead in their beds, still wearing their pajamas, Completely covered in blood. Each of them had been shot at close range in their sleep. And the story only became more shocking the next day when none other than Ronald DeFeo Jr. himself confessed that he was the one who had committed these heinous murders, and when he eventually claimed that he'd heard demonic voices that told him to do it. But the night that Ronald DeFeo Jr. murdered his family was only the beginning of the terrors that plagued what came to be known as the Amityville Horror House, after the family who moved in afterward claimed that the home was haunted. And though that story has since been made into several movies and remains well-known to this day, the true story about what happened isn't what you might think. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm All That's Interesting staff writer Austin Harvey, and this is the true story of the infamous Amityville murders and the alleged hauntings that followed. The DeFeo household was far from perfect. Ronald DeFeo Sr. was an overbearing, domineering, and often abusive patriarch. His wife Louise, who had once dreamed of pursuing a modeling career, became a withdrawn background figure in Big Ronnie's house. Louise's parents never approved of their daughter's romance with Ronnie and cut ties with the couple until 1951, when they had their first son, Ronald Joseph DeFeo Jr. Young Ronald, known by his nickname Butch, had a difficult childhood. As the firstborn son, his father set high expectations for him and dealt out especially harsh punishments when they weren't met. Years later, Louise's brother Michael recalled an incident from when Butch was just two years old. As Michael remembered it, we were all sitting down in the basement watching TV, and, I don't know, the boy had done something. All of a sudden, he stood up, the father, and just pushed the boy this way into the wall. The boy banged his head or part of his shoulder or something. Butch was also an extremely overweight child who suffered verbal abuse from other kids at school, calling him names like The Blob, Bucky Beaver, and Pork Chop. Butch wasn't an only child for long, though. In 1956, his sister Dawn was born. Then, in 1961, the DeFeos had another child named Allison. Only a year later, they'd had their second son, Mark. But shortly after Mark's birth, Luis decided to leave her husband. To win her back, he expressed his love for Luis by co-writing a song called The Real Thing, a song that was later recorded by the jazz legend Joe Williams. Big Ronnie's musical expression of love evidently worked because the couple was back together in welcoming their third son, John Matthew, into the world. Around this time, they had also moved from their cramped Brooklyn apartment into a lavish home in the affluent Long Island community of Amityville, all thanks to Louise's father, who paid for both the house and the life-size portraits of the family that hung inside it. But a new house and a nice community wasn't enough to fix the damage that Butch's troubled childhood had caused him. As a teenager, Butch started to rely heavily on drugs and alcohol to cope. He lost most of his childhood weight, largely due to amphetamines, and regularly got into fights, a trend that only worsened when he started going to the local bars. At one point, in a fit of rage, he even threatened his father with a gun. He had a job working at his father's auto dealership, but he hardly ever showed up, and when he did, he would leave work early out of boredom. It didn't matter, anyway his parents were giving him a weekly stipend in hopes that it would appease the troubled young man. Unfortunately, it didn't. By 1974, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. was still living at home, barely working, and spending his days getting high, getting drunk, and getting into fistfights when he'd had a few too many and said the wrong thing to the wrong person. In those days, the local bars were his true home, so no one was surprised to see Butch at Henry's Bar on November 13, 1974, but while there throughout the afternoon, he'd been calling his house and not receiving an answer, and complaining about it to anyone who had lent an ear. Eventually, it seemed he got fed up and left. What was surprising, however, was that Butch came back a few hours later in a frenzy, screaming, You got to help me! I think my mother and father are shot! A few of his friends hopped into a car with him and drove to the DeFeo house only a block away. The house was completely silent, except for the barking of the family's dog from the kitchen, where it was leashed to the back door. As Butch and his friends walked through the house, they discovered, room by room, the grisly truth. It wasn't just Ronald and Louise DeFeo who had been shot. It was the whole family, including Mark, who was only nine years old. Naturally, the first person questioned by police was Ronald DeFeo Jr. Initially, he claimed that it couldn't have been him. He had been at work all morning and the bar all afternoon. But the state of the bodies showed that they had been dead since well before six in the morning. When they called his bluff, Ronald frantically changed the story, something he would soon do again and again. At one point, he tried to convince the police that a mob hitman named Louis Fellini killed his family and forced him to watch. Unfortunately for DeFeo, Fellini was out of state at the time. Now that he was apparently out of excuses, Ronald DeFeo confessed the truth. He murdered his family himself. But even after his initial confession, he changed his story multiple times. In one version, he claimed that his sister Dawn approached him about killing their family. They were supposedly only going to kill their parents, taking the rest of the children to their grandparents' house beforehand to keep them out of the home. In this version, Don killed their father, and then their mother, in a bout of insanity, killed the other children before Ronald shot and killed her. In the second version of this story, Ronald DeFeo Jr. claimed that Don had been the one to kill the entire family before he killed her himself. Ronald DeFeo Jr.'s most infamous claim, however, was that he was possessed by the devil and that the devil made him kill his family. A jury ultimately decided that Ronald DeFeo Jr. killed his entire family in cold blood while they were asleep in their beds. He was convicted on six counts of second-degree murder and sentenced to six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. Nevertheless, DeFeo's claims of demonic possession and voices had captivated the public's imagination, especially after the family that moved into the house next claimed that they were being terrorized by malevolent spirits. In July of 1975, a newlywed couple named George and Kathy Lutz found their dream home. It was a beautiful three-story, five-bedroom Dutch colonial home on Long Island with a swimming pool and a boathouse, and it was listed for $80,000. According to George, they had looked at over 50 homes during their search. They'd have been foolish to pass up on such a good deal. There was, of course, a catch. This was the house where Ronald DeFeo, Murdered his entire family nine months earlier. After George and Kathy's real estate agent detailed the house's past, the couple took some time to think things over and discuss the decision with their kids. In the end, they felt they could handle the house's past and purchased 112 Ocean Avenue in December 1975, only 13 months after the murders. As an added bonus, for only $400, the real estate company included the DeFeo's furniture. A friend of George's then insisted that if they were going to move into this house, they should have a priest come by and bless it. Father Ralph Pecoraro arrived at the house as the Lutzes were unpacking on December 18, 1975, to perform the blessing. Almost immediately, Father Pecoraro claimed he heard a deep, masculine voice demanding that he leave, though he didn't mention this to the Lutzes on his way out. It wasn't until a week later, on Christmas Eve, that he called George Lutz and advised him to stay out of the second floor bedroom that Kathy had been planning to use as a sewing room, before the call was suddenly cut short by static. The Lutzes allegedly then began to experience strange and disturbing phenomena throughout the house. At first, they said they experienced inexplicable cold spots in different parts of the house and loud noises that woke them in the middle of the night. Kathy said she felt an unseen person touching her on several occasions, and even claimed that one night she woke to find that her face had been transformed into that of an old hag and that it took hours to return to normal. Meanwhile, George started involuntarily waking up every night at 3.15am, the exact time at which the DeFeo family was murdered, and said that he would sometimes see Kathy levitating above their bed. The couple also reported seeing two red eyes peering in at them from the upstairs bedroom window. Their daughter Missy said the eyes belonged to her angel friend, Jody, who would appear to her in the form of a large pig. The children began arguing more frequently, and George became reclusive and obsessed with the fireplace, which never seemed to be warm enough for him. The final straw for the Lutz family came on January 13, 1976, only 28 days after they moved into the house. This is George Lutz's account of what happened that night. I was lying in bed and everyone was asleep, and Kathy lifts up off the bed and starts to slide away from the bed and away from me. I feel something get in the bed with us. I'm unable to move. I hear the kids' beds continually slamming up and down on the floor and being dragged. We heard these pigeons on the air conditioner top overhead from the master bathroom, and they're fluttering all night long, and yet there are no pigeons there the next morning, or any nest or anything like that. The lights flickered. We brought the dog up to stay right by the bedroom. We tied him right to the doorknob and he's up going in circles and throwing up all night. The boys came down in the morning absolutely frightened. They were unable to get down to me and I was unable to get up to them. Missy came in and just asked what was that all about and Kathy had no memory of much of it. The Lutz's family claims about their house being haunted soon attracted the attention of the local news media. But the story didn't end there. This case quickly became so famous that it was turned into a book. The Amityville horror, which later inspired several film adaptations. The case also attracted the attention of two famous self proclaimed demonologists named Ed and Lorraine Warren, and launched their careers as two of the most famous paranormal investigators in the world, which later inspired the Conjuring film series. But according to Ronald DeFeo Jr.'s attorney, William Weber, the entire Amityville horror story is a hoax. He has long claimed that the Lutzes approached him with an idea for a book and that together, they created the story over many bottles of wine. He also sued them for taking the story of The Haunting to another publishing partner, demanding a share of the profits, which amounted to $60 million. In any case, George Lutz and his sons Daniel and Christopher always maintained that they truly did have paranormal experiences inside their Amityville home, and the film franchises based on the events certainly been successful enough to make them stick to their story. In the end, despite any claims of paranormal activity, there was only one confirmed horror that occurred at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York. A very real horror that had nothing to do with demons or spirits. No matter what, that house will always be the place where one night in 1974, a troubled young man with a gun committed one of the most haunting crimes in modern history. Thanks for listening to History Uncovered. I'm History Uncovered's producer, Kit Westneat. If you like the show, help others find us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and be sure to follow the All That's Interesting and History Revealed pages on Facebook and Real History Uncovered on Instagram. Make sure you don't miss out on the new episodes and subscribe to the History Uncovered podcast, and keep up with our latest stories at allthat'sinteresting.com. If you have a question about the show or just want to say hi, feel free to call us at 929-526-3029 or email us at podcast at all this, this podcast is part of the airwave media podcast network, visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like legends of the old west and redacted history until next time. Keep exploring. Hello all Eric Rivenus with the most notorious podcast here. Each week I interview an author or historian about a historical true crime, tragedy, or disaster. Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers, and have a safe tomorrow.